I wore my Woo Tang shirt because today we're going to talk about wrestling. We are going to talk about wrestling. That is one Wu Tang shirt. I love it. It's fancy, right? Man, Nature Boy ain't nothing to fuck with. No, never. So, um, so yeah, I'm excited to talk about this because I feel like you and I have uh, very different experiences when it comes to professional wrestling. Absolutely. Because uh, we, we, we grew up in different eras and in different parts of the world and or in different parts of the country. And uh, and uh, so we grew up, I think, with uh, kind of uh, being involved in, in, in watching different professional wrestling. And, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm thinking, I mean, I've got right here a copy of this fancy uh, this fancy trade paperback. The That's it. Then Now Forever. Written, written by, by Dennis Hopeless. That's right. And uh, so you obviously, you know, have have an interesting perspective, I think, because you're writing these com these official comics. Yes, official WWE. Those are not those are not fan fiction. That's right. That is all canon. <laughs> That's true. So, so I guess, and I know the answer to this, but I don't know that everyone watching may know. I mean, how much of a, a wrestling fan were you before you started working on that book? Well, when I was a little kid, I was super into it because I like '84. I would have three years old. So, like at the height of you know, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man, uh, Andre the Giant, Ultimate Warrior. That was like the my early childhood. Yes. So I was really into it as much as you can be into things as a little kid with no cable. So I watched it every chance I got. I liked it. I watched the cartoon. I had the cartoon. But my family wasn't real into it. Like my dad thought it was amusing for a couple minutes before he'd go fishing or whatever. Right. But uh, it's not like I went to live shows or whatever. Also, at the time... Like, before that, before my time, Kansas City was a pretty big territory. Harley Race had um, territory here. There's a bunch of, uh, like, there, there were Ric Flair, uh, Dusty Rhodes title matches here. Right. So, like, it was a thing. But that was all before my time. And, yeah, I didn't go see WWE Live, and, and local wrestling wasn't a thing I was aware of as a kid. So I was into it then. And then, you know, kind of fell out when it dropped off a little bit in the early 90s. And then around the time of the NWO invasion of WCW. Um, some friends got into it and dragged me in. And these were guys that had, like, they'd go to Blockbuster and rent all of the VHS tapes of WWE stuff. And so they were they showed me the backstory to the buildup of, of Diesel and Ramon leaving. And then I was, like, all in. All in for, first of all, w, or, uh, WCW's NWO stuff and staying in the rafters and all that. And then... Like when Stone Cold popped up in WWE, which was WWF then, and then it was the Monday Night War. So for a while, I was like, was like flipping back and forth between the two shows in the whatever that was, or mid mid nineties. So yeah, I was really really into it till probably ninety eight, ninety nine, and then the I don't know. I was more of a WCW guy, and WCW like kind of took a hard story dive um, after a while with the NWF stuff. So I fell off, um, yeah. and then for for years. I would pop into Wikipedia to like catch up because you could catch up with storylines and see what everybody did and where they went, but never really watched it again. And then, I don't know, five years ago, 
uh, Jason Aaron, who's a good friend of mine, and here lives here in town. His son Dash got into it. Right. It got to be the right age to get into it, and then Jason jumped in like whole hog and started watching it and wouldn't shut up about it. And so if you go to Jason's house, if he got drunk enough, he would put on like New Japan and uh, yeah, and WWE stuff. And so I started watching it again. I started watching it regularly. I started recording Raw, and then I was pretty well all in as of 2013, 2014. Right. And I've been, uh, yeah, like a weekly watcher ever since. All right. So you know what you're talking about with these comics, I guess. Yeah, well, and the comics, I have to rewatch stuff all the time in the comics. Again, all of the, the stuff that, almost all of the matches in the comics take place in an actual pay-per-view or something. So I rewatched a lot of stuff in the last couple of years. And for those who don't know the way the comics work, we want them to be canon, like we want them to make sense with storylines, but we can't stay current because it takes a month to make a comic. And WWE, because of injuries and because of how their creative works, they have to be able to bob and weave at all times. Um, so we are writing the story between the stories and behind the scenes of, of WWE storylines from the last couple of years. So like that trade you got there is the story of Seth Rollins uh, leaving the Shield, becoming a bad guy, uh, rising to become Mr. Money in the Bank, winning his title, getting injured, and then coming back from that. So it's like the rise and fall of Seth Rollins. And the matches are the matches that happened that you saw, but everything else is like the Friday Night Lights of it. Like we're telling the story of what went on that week and, and the interpersonal stuff and what was going on in Seth's head. So it really fleshes out the existing storylines in a fun way. It's also critically acclaimed. I mean, everyone loves this comic. This might be the greatest wrestling comic that was ever written. I'm sure it is. I'm very sure. popular. I don't think, has there ever really been a, I mean, I know there have been wrestling comics, but not like this, right? This was a, I mean, this is pretty ambitious. They wanted, yeah, they wanted something to be a little bit more like the product. Because in the past they've done stuff where it was mostly like, amping up the, the characters to make them a little bit more like comic book characters, which are like horror books or superhero books, so like just really making it crazy. And I, those never seemed to really resonate with fans because it wasn't, like that's not what they like about wrestling. Right. And so when I when I got the job, and I didn't, I tried really hard to not get the job because I was busy with Marvel work and I I love wrestling. So when they reached out, I'm like, oh, I'd love to do a one shot or a short story or whatever. They're like, well, actually, we want you to do the ongoing. And I was like, yeah. Well, I would need and like every they were like really good salespeople. Um, my friend Jasmine Miri is the uh, was the editor on the book at the time, right. and she just wouldn't stop like knocking my objections down. Like she was trying to sell me a used car, and so at the end, I was like, "Well, I oh okay." And, and the last thing was she was pile driving your objections. She, she your was, objections. She was. Yes. But my my last thing that I said was. Well, I don't think that a comic book that's 20 pages of wrestling is going to work very well because you get to see that on TV. Like, what's fun about wrestling is seeing two giant men throw each other around. A drawing of that's not the same thing, especially in a medium where we see people punching the sun and stuff. So what I would want to do is interpersonal drama in between the matches, thinking that was going to be a no-go. And I said Friday Night Lights, and she said, we literally had Friday Night Lights written down on the piece of paper. You were, I had that conversation. I was, I in, was a, in the car with you when you were having yeah, that call. We were in a New York City taxi cab heading to an X Men retreat. Oh and, yeah, it was X Men. I was trying to remember what that was, yeah. but I remember uh, listening to you talking to. I guess it was Jasmine on the other. It was Jasmine and Eric Hartburn and Bryce Randall. Yeah. So I remember listening to you have that conversation. I thought to myself, Is Dennis talking about doing a wrestling comic? 
because I this is the first I'd heard you uh, heard of it. You hadn't mentioned it to me before, so it was kind of a it was it was kind of surreal and interesting to hear you uh, have that that I to hear the one side of that conversation. So uh, yeah, I was. No, it's been, I take it's credit been for your success. Blast. You I should think. take credit for all my success. I feel like you, you being around me at that moment helped you uh, take that project. And, you and, being rude to me when I bought the damned from you at a comic convention like 10 years ago is what propelled me forward because I thought I'm going to I'm going to lack this Cullen Bun. I'm, I'm going to sure, I'm pretty sure I wasn't rude to you but I have a a, a mean resting face and uh, you were polite to me when I was giving you money for the book but when I emailed you later to tell you what I thought you ignored me and when I brought it up after that you acted like you didn't know what I was talking about well I still don't know what you're talking about well see that's it. now that I've done shows as a more high profile creator and talked to a billion people and try to remember any of those interactions I understand but yeah, at the time I, like I was I like would've... I feel like I would have responded to you, but all right, whatever. It's fine. Okay, so what's your, you, you have a better because you're from the Carolinas. You got a much right. better wrestling past as a child. Well, right? in the in in the '80s in the Carolinas, wrestling was a you know that was a huge deal. It was a uh, you know it was it was a uh, very popular. I was a uh, not into the. Uh, I was not into Hogan and Randy Savage. I mean, I watched that on Sunday afternoons or, or Saturday afternoons. I would still watch that wrestling. Uh, I guess that was a was that w, WWF at the time. Mm. And I would still watch that, but it was always, to me, that was always cartoony wrestling. Right. I, I thought it was really, uh, it, it, I thought it was even more more fake than, than, uh, than the wrestling I was watching on the regular. Which was NWA, uh, which became you know WCW, and, uh, and and that was the that was the wrestling with you know Ric Flair and, and Dusty Rhodes and the Rock and Roll Express and the Midnight Express and and Magnum Magnum TA, TA and uh, best wrestler ever that no and uh, Nikita Koloff <laughs> and the Road Warriors. So I mean, and I was into that. I was watching that three times a week, you know, uh, and I was watching it with my family. I remember my mom had a big crush on Ric Flair. Um, Every mom had a big crush on Ric Flair. Right. And, uh, and I, I had a cousin, well, all the girls at school, and, and I had a cousin who was really into Magnum TA. They thought he was the greatest greatest thing that ever walked the face. I mean, that might be the sexiest man who ever lived. He had that, like, that curly hair in the back, the leg across the shoulders. He had the, the, the chest hair that was all perfectly groomed to the same length. Well, I will tell you that Magnum TA changed my relationship with wrestling. How did he do it? Um, so we used to go to the matches all the time. I mean, we went to uh, the the Raleigh State Fairgrounds. They'd have matches once once every other month, month or once a month, and we'd go on a regular basis and watch. You know, it was an hour drive, but we would go to watch these matches. Uh, sometimes we'd go to Fayetteville. Most of the time, we'd go to Raleigh and watch them. And even on one of my birthdays. Uh, we, my dad flew me to flew the whole family to New Orleans to watch uh, the Jim J. Crockett Memorial Tag Team Tournament, the first one, and uh, and for like a, it was a huge three day big event, you know, uh, which I guess at the time was sort of like the what what uh, you know, it's not on the scale of say a WrestleMania, but but it's sort of what that it's was. It's a big damn deal. deal. It was a big deal. But at one of those events, we were staying. We stayed overnight, and we were staying in the hotel where all the wrestlers were staying. And uh, and I had a program 
uh, and I wanted to, you know, I was, I was down in the lobby, and all the wrestlers were there, and at the time, I was really into the face wrestlers. I was like, these, you know, the, the good guys are the ones I wanted to follow, because, you know, sure. you, want, you want to follow heroes. And uh, Magnum TA comes walking through the crowd, and I was like, I was like, Magnum, Magnum, can I get you to, to sign my, uh, you know, sign my program? And he just kind of, he's like, no, nah, kid, not right now, and he just walked on. He was a real jackass. <laughs> and uh, and I was standing there, I was like, I was young at the time, and I was standing there sort of heartbroken. And uh, uh, <laughs> beautiful Bobby Eaton, who was one half of the Midnight Express, at the time very big villains in the you know, in in their in their group. Uh, he was standing over and he says, Hey kid, come over here, I'll sign that book for you. <laughs> So I walked over, and he was super cool to me and talked to me for, like, I don't know, ten minutes or whatever. And I was like, wow, this villain's the coolest guy I've met in wrestling. He's awesome. And from that day forward, I uh, I was a fan of the villains. And I will tell you that back then, it was not cool to be fans of the villains. Nowadays, right. it feels like being a fan of a villain, that's fine. The villains are, you know... First of all, the, the the faces and the and the heels switch very quickly, and sometimes you can't tell them apart, and right. and that's uh, that's cool in its own right. But back then, you did not cheer for a villain, and I was I was at uh, one of the matches in Raleigh. You know, we were sitting on the floor right up you know near the ring, and it was a it was a Russian chain match between Mag- Magnum TA and Nikita Koloff. And uh, and I started cheering for Nikita. <laughs> and uh, in the eighties, in Raleigh, North Carolina, you don't cheer for the Russian nightmare. No. I mean, everybody in the crowd was looking at me. They were throwing popcorn. <laughs> they were angry that I was cheering for uh, Nikita Koloff. Uh, but let's face it, Nikita Koloff was one of the best wrestlers that's ever lived. He and he is my favorite wrestler, far better than any of your favorites. Um, <laughs> Nikita Koloff was was a was a beast and and deserved that praise. Uh, and uh, but yeah, you don't cheer for uh, for Nikita Koloff in Rock. You were you were yeah, a was. groundbreaking wrestling fan. I was. I think I think someone saw me cheering Nikita, and they said that guy. That's what we need to start gearing towards that guy and people who really like the villains. And then from that day forward, I was a you know I was into the Midnight Express. I was in you know. Uh, I was in the Midnight Express and Nikita Koloff, and uh, uh, the Road Warriors were one of the first that kind of bridged that gap between right. you know good guy bad guy. But I was all about the Road Warriors, and and just the villains in general were were always uh, you know always my favorites. Uh, the only the only and and the Four Horsemen, of course, you know the greatest sure. villain group ever. The Four Horsemen uh, quickly catapulted to you know be right up there at the top of my list, um, and really the only face I still watched and cared about was Dusty Rhodes. Because Dusty Rhodes is Dusty Rhodes, the American Dusty, Dream. Because Dusty Rhodes is the American Dream. The man. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I remember at that Jim J. Crockett Memorial Cup Tag Team Tournament, um, <laughs> Dusty and Nikita teamed up as the superpowers because that was after Magnum's uh, uh, accident and he, right. couldn't, he wasn't wrestling anymore. And I remember that was a big deal. And then all, now everybody's cheering for Nikita because all of a sudden he's Dusty Rhodes' friend. But all right. I was My favorite thing about this story is the reason that you started cheering villains is the same reason you do everything, which is revenge over yes. someone yes. slighting you. You, right. That's you absolutely don't want, right. You don't want 
Colin Bunn to dislike you. You don't want to be on the wrong side of Colin Bunn. He will try to destroy you forever. No, it's not about destroying. It's just about I want to... I want them to feel terrible. I want Magnum TA to know that he should, could have had me as a friend. And I met Bobby Eaton again just a few years ago at a convention in uh, Cape Girardeau, and uh, and got like a you know I, I did a picture with him and got a you know got a signed uh, picture and uh, I bought his book that he had there, and uh, and he was still a super nice guy. He didn't remember meeting me back then though. I, Did you ever meet I told him that story. I told him that story, but he didn't. Uh, he didn't remember it. Sure. Well, imagine how many people that man is. Also, how many times he's been dropped on his head. He's in Missouri now. Missouri. He's got Missouri swagger. Bobby Eaton's a Missouri guy now. I mean, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, uh, Jim Cornette has an awesome podcast yeah. where he talks about old wrestling stories, and he talks about. And I don't know how much of this is is real and how much of it is like the of you know professional wrestling but he talks about fans like wanting to attack them after matches whenever they would cheat and win and having to like have police escorts to get the hell out of the building and stuff yeah that, that is wildly entertaining yeah I, he's he, great he he was awesome awesome as a wrestling manager and now he's awesome you know in the stories he tells because i've watched so did you get to see him live or yeah oh that's yeah. awesome Jim Cornette, like, he might be my favorite wrestling personality of all time. He's like, if you took my dad and made him a little more Southern fried and then made him only talk about wrestling instead of cars. Uh, yeah, hands down, he's my favorite wrestling uh, manager. I mean, I don't think anyone's ever topped him. I, I, he was so animated. Right. <laughs> you know, when he's, he stomps around that ring, he has that tennis racket. <laughs> Stupid tennis racket, yeah. And I remember because building up to it... Uh, uh, to that tag team tournament, you know, they did the seeds of who was number one, and I mean, he was furious that the Road Warriors were ranked number one, while the the Midnight Express were the world champions, and they were ranked number two, and that was, a, you know, and of course the Road Warriors and Midnight Express got to duke it out. Road Warriors won. Yeah, well, the good guys have to prosper. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah, anybody who loves, like, if you don't know anything about Jim Cornette, you watch modern wrestling. Paul Heyman drinks from the Jim Cornette cup. Oh, like yeah. Paul Heyman does Jim Cornette, like a modern version of Jim Cornette. Like those guys are very much cut from the same cloth. And it's, I mean, I love Paul Heyman. He's amazing. But yeah, Jim Cornette did it first. Yeah. No. Uh, yeah, he was great. And uh, and yeah, you know, I. But yeah, I, I I was really into it for many years. And then you know, it sounds like I was getting out of it around the time you were starting to to get into it the first time. Right. Um, because I, you know, uh, I remember when Sting turned into the Crow. You know, he was, yeah. uh, you know that was around. The, I, I was already not really watching it too often then, just right. occasionally. And then I, uh, that was kind of the moments I, I got out of it. And then I would, I'd keep up with it occasionally. NWA fans got kind of screwed by the Monday Night Wars because WCW, or yeah, WCW got purchased by Turner. And then they tried to turn it into WWE and succeeded, became really popular, made a bunch of money. But that, like, Ric Flair-style, like, hard-nosed, make-this-look-real-and-nasty wrestling just kind of fell out of it. I mean, it didn't go away. They just became more local. And then eventually all that stuff kind of got swallowed up. So, yeah, uh, there's an amazing um, Ric Flair 30 for 30, like, HBO yeah, that's it. it's yeah. not another sports. It's, that's not HBO. It's um HBO is a ESPN. Yeah, uh, it's incredible. And it's just Ric Flair telling stories about how much he used to drink and and party and, and, party and how how uh, 
awesome those times were. Well, he was, you know, limousine riding, baby. Yeah, there's a, my favorite story in there is he talks about, uh, the, I guess the woman telling a story. He's with some woman or some women one night, and he was wearing a Rolex, and she was talking about his Rolex, and he takes the Rolex off and throws it into a pot of spaghetti. And she's like, what? That, the watch is worth whatever. And he's like, ah, I got four of them at home. <laughs> I, uh, you know, at one time I was talking to, to Boom about doing a, like a backup story in the WWE books, uh, and uh, it was going to be about Four Horsemen, and I was going to do a fictionalized version of a story I'd heard um, growing up, and that was, uh, this guy had told me he worked at the pantry, which was sort of like a 7-Eleven, uh, you know, 7-Eleven convenience store, and uh, one of the nights of one of the one of the matches, this dude was so he 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 told the story of this match that this limousine pulls up in the in the uh, in the parking lot and Ric Flair comes boiling out of the back and uh, comes in and all he wants to buy are some pickled eggs and he buys some like two or three pickled eggs and he eats them and goes back and gets in the car and drives away and that was this dude's claim to fame is Ric Flair bought pickled eggs from me right. and I wanted to tell a story about Ric Flair going into the Ric Flair and the Four Horsemen going into. Uh, going into this convenience store and buying pickled eggs and then these dudes in the back uh, had set up a, a wrestling ring and uh, they wanted to live the, the styling and profiling lifestyle and they were trying to live the, the Four Horsemen lifestyle and then they challenged the Four Horsemen to a match. Um, and I don't know why we never did that story. <laughs> Probably you found out I was writing the main book. You didn't no, this was after I, I already knew you were writing the main book and I just wanted to tell a, a, you know, a Ric Flair story. But I just think it kind of it kind of died on the vine. It's probably my fault. I probably didn't follow up on it the way I should have. Um, I think that series is a, editorially a pain because they have to do those backups in every single issue, and they have to get everything approved by WWE. I'm jealous of the backups though. Like getting to do those little one-offs, is like it seems like it'd be really fun. That, that's one of the things I'm really enjoying about this. We're doing an NXT weekly. Um, the maybe just started. Maybe starts next month. Um, but. Yeah, they're, they're one-issue stories about uh, different eras of NXT. So I'm getting to do like uh, different things every month, which is fun. <clears throat> um, so you already know, Nick, I, I, did you say who your favorite wrestler was? My favorite wrestler of all time is Razor Ramon. That's what I thought, yeah. Yeah. Uh, my favorite current wrestler is Bailey. Uh, and then, I mean, I, and that's my favorite. It's not who I think is the best. Like, Ric Flair and... Um, Dusty Rhodes are the two best wrestlers of all time I think like Dusty on mic and and both of them in the ring both of them I mean both of them they just have their whole total package yeah they were awesome massive cults of personality and they were amazing they had the best Uh, bumpers and they were yeah they were always uh, always great right but my favorite when I was really really into it was Razor Ramon like watching old Razor Ramon stuff in the middle of the video was really funny because he was doing like silly voice and it, yeah. I just really enjoyed it I actually was Razor Ramon for Halloween uh, a couple of years ago and there are embarrassing photos of me online with gold chains around my neck and a vest with a shirt on um, awesome. I'm going to look those actually I'm going to add those to this video I'm going to find them and add them to the video so that people can see alright how you, you do that um, I'll, I'll send you yeah please send um, uh, yeah, no, uh, that, and didn't you, now, you said Bailey, did, did, was it Bailey one of the wrestlers you interviewed, or you were the moderator at a panel? The bat thing. Yeah, tell me about yeah, that panel. Planet Comic Con this last year, they asked me to moderate the, uh, Trish Stratus Lita panel, and Trish oh. and Lita were the, 
the badass female wrestlers of the Attitude Era, which is a period of time where like the f- women were not used for wrestling for the most part. Like China was, and China, I mean, China competed against men, and she was amazing. And then Trish and Lita came in and blew the doors off. Like they broke a lot of ground and had these amazing matches and this amazing rivalry and they're friends in real life. So now they are retired and they do uh, like comic cons and different wrestling shows and stuff. And they do these talks. So because I write the, uh, the WWE book, they reached out to boom to see if I would moderate the panel. Now, I've never moderated a panel before. I've been on lots of panels, but I thought, well, I'll just, you know, I'll do a bunch of research. I'll have questions ready. I'll, I'll figure it out. And decided to moderate the panel. But when we do comic book panels, it is a relatively large room, usually. I mean, in San Diego or New York, it's a massive room. Sometimes it's a small room, but... And you're sitting on a slightly elevated stage behind a table... Right. With splites on you, but it's not like after you've done a couple, it's not super intimidating. Right. And usually there's usually not a lot of people in the room. I mean, no. Yeah. And if there are, like at San Diego or New York, you don't have to say much because the panel is about every, like the 12 people that are up there. And you answer, you know, you talk about your book a little bit and you sit and listen to people. And if you're me, you make jokes on what other people say. And then you listen to questions about movies that you don't know the answer to. Like that's, that's what big panels are like. So. My expectation was based on that. And I'm a little bit nervous because I've never met these women and because I've never moderated before, but I thought, I got this. Like, I've, I've had bad moderators before where I had to, like, kind of take over and do it. And I thought, ah, I can do this. It's fine. So I show up for the panel and immediately you realize there's a difference between being a comic book creator and being a celebrity when you're at a, when you're at a con. And I had never been to a celebrity panel because I go to cons for work, not as a fan. Right. So I walk into this giant room and it's got a stage that is so brightly lighted that like you can't see anything else in the room. Like the sun is lighting the stage. And instead of a table with a banner on the front of it so that you can't see your legs, there are, there's a white couch, like an overstuffed white couch and an overstuffed white chair. And I walk in, and they hand me a microphone, and they start talking to me about how I need to get the crowd riled up first to, uh, <laughs> to, get, them, to get them excited and going. And I'm like, wait, I, I, I never... My fight-or-flight instinct has never kicked in harder. Like, I wanted to drop that microphone and run. I started sweating. I'm wildly nervous. And then uh, Trish and Lita walk in, and they shake my hands. And Lita starts talking about this bit she wants to do. She's like, okay, before you introduce me, I don't remember what it was, but it was, like, some really simple bit she wanted to do. And I'm like, I look at her like this, and I'm like, I've never done this before. I just read the comic book. I don't know why they asked me to do this. I've never really been. <laughs> and Lita's like, her, her face just like immediately changes to, okay, we're going to have to, we're going to have to deal with this shit. And so she kind of walks away and then Trish is really sweet and came over and said, you're going to be fine. We, we do this all the time. It's going to be fine. Just go out there and ask questions. So we go out and I walk into the light and there's just like light beaming down in my face from all sides. I can't see the crowd at all. And I'm very nervous. And I immediately say, oh, I've never done this before, I just read the comic book. Like I said the same thing in the same sad tone. I seem like the, the least confident human that's ever lived. Oh. And then I, I sit down and I introduce them 
And I, I had written down how I wanted to introduce them, so I said the words, and I said it a little bit more confidently. But I'm, you know, got my legs crossed. I'm very conscious of the fact that there's a camera, like, right at crotch level that's facing me. And I introduced them. And fortunately, they heard how bad my introduction was, and they came out and started giving me shit. And so it became a bit where I'm terrible at this, and like Trish is getting the crowd to like applaud me because I'm so bad, and then it became comfortable. And I'm capable of having a conversation. So I started the questions, they took over, and then I would ask follow-up questions, and it ended up being fine. But I was very juicy with sweat through that whole thing, and I will never, ever again be able to moderate anything. Yeah, I only laugh because I know I would have been in the same. I would have hated that. That would have been the worst. Yeah, so... Yeah. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I wish I'd seen it. <laughs> I'm sure there's video of it. I bet I can find video of it somewhere. There's probably. I don't know, man. All right. Well, um, I'm sure you did wonderful. I mean, I, guys, I bet it was the, the best. Whose swag is my turn for a swag story? your time for a swag story. That one doesn't count because there's no swagger happening. That's what okay. I was, as you started, I was like, maybe this could be your swagger story. But then I realized that no, that is actually the Missouri spineless worm. Yes. Uh, I might did it. I didn't run away. Like the fact that I didn't run away shows that I have some courage. Yes, it gives you a little bit. But also, you that was my fight. That's, if that's the version of my fight, you understand why I don't get in bar fights. Also, you knew you had no choice but to stand there. You, I mean, you, you, if you, well, you can't walk into a panel to moderate it, and then say, "Oh, I gotta go." I mean. I, when it's my hometown show, so it's not like I can just bounce yeah, you it. You faked diarrhea or something, maybe? That would have been, yeah, that's, fun. That's that been a great story, too. I, I, I'd have heard that at conventions for years and years to come. <laughs> All right, so Missouri Swagger story. I, I will tell, this one's actually about me. You know, most of them are about my dad and my mom, but this is about me. So when I was in high school, it, that was my sophomore year of high school, so it would have been like 96-ish, like right around the time the NWO stuff happening. Some friends of mine started a thing called ETW, Extreme Trampoline Wrestling. And basically, as I understand it now, it was just an excuse for them to take their smaller siblings and throw them around on trampoline. But these were the buddies that were, you know, renting the old WWF uh, VHS tapes and and getting me into ETW. So they wanted to do a pay-per-view like they wanted to like get video cameras out and do a real like backyard wrestling thing and this is before backyard wrestling really blew up like the internet was nascent and so you we didn't realize this was a thing a lot of people were doing because wrestling was blowing back up but they asked me if i'd be interested because we've been watching wrestling together so i came over one night to talk about it and when i was at that age my parents were going through a divorce and i was a little bit unhinged like not like super crazy but i my grades went down and i yelled at teachers and I was kind of bad for, for uh, three semesters and this was the middle of that so I come over and we start watching wrestling and they start like wrestling with their kid brothers and stuff and I take it a little bit too far and like jump off the couch onto them and like put them in headlocks and was just sort of crazy that night um, and then they invited then I came up with a character and I came I started writing storylines for this for this pay-per-view what's the character come on character I was the juvenile delinquent, and my finishing move was the classroom disruption. And it was I had I had a pad. I bought a knee pad that was going to be under these like shredded Tommy Hilfiger jeans that I had, and I was going to grab a person's head and bounce it off the knee pad, which would have been a terrible idea. Like this, I don't you don't know how to deliver a wrestling move in a way that doesn't hurt the other person. So this was all planned. We had like a we were going to have a heel turn. We had all this stuff planned out for it. 
I bought face paint because we were like the, the the good guy was going to change his face paint to be like mine, and we were going to become a thing. And I started like coming up with plans to build ropes around the trampoline because they were just doing a regular trampoline. And right before, like a week or two before we were going to do this pay per view, I called my buddy Joey to ask him about it, and he said. We're not doing that anymore. You've taken this way too far. You've gotten way too excited about this. Like, this was just supposed to be a fun thing, and you're making it a big deal, and it's just not happening, Dennis. You're going to hurt somebody. And I was mortified. Like, I dropped it. I threw all the shit away. Like, I was really embarrassed that I had apparently been a crazy person. And this was, like, my secret shame for, you know, the next couple of years. But I talked to Joey about it in after college, and we kind of reconnected after college. And come to find out... One of the little brothers or sisters got thrown off the trampoline and got hurt, and their parents told them they couldn't do it anymore. But Joey didn't, for whatever reason, didn't want to tell me that the mom and dad said no, so he pretended like my enthusiasm was a huge problem, and that's why we didn't do it. Wow. So, and I, it, yeah, go ahead. I've heard that uh, teachers in your neck of the woods still talk in hushed whispers about Tommy Hilfiger wearing juvenile delinquent and those and those three three dark dark semesters they were rough I got C's it was bad news I was the the least delinquent juvenile delinquent but I did disrupt class alright well uh, I like that story I you know I I like the idea that you uh, killed a wrestling league at some point, because of yes, your, I killed it. Your I, I mean, I, I killed it in the crib. Like they never had an actual. They, they just named it. Before that, it was just literally throwing nine-year-olds around on a trampoline. Well, that's you know, yeah. you legitimized it, and then they they punished you for it. You, you did. No one. The only thing people like more than a juvenile delinquent hero is to see a juvenile delinquent hero fail. And, <laughs> You were taken down by your own hubris. Yes, as I often am. <laughs> All, All right, folks, that's Missouri Swagger. That's episode five. At some point, we should write this down so I don't have to remember what number it is. When we get to 12, I'm going to look. You could go to the channel and see how many we have. Well, I knew. All right. I'm well, just worried that it's off this track. If you like this video, uh, please When do you like this video? When you like this